Columbia researcher Sheena Iyengar has found that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions every day. Now, we're not talking about subconscious actions or reactive responses or routine behaviors like getting out of bed or opening the door to the fridge. We're talking about 70 thought-through, definite, determined decisions. Now, that's 25,550 decisions a year. Over 70 years, that's 1,788,500 decisions. Albert Camus said, Life is a sum of all your choices. You put all those 1,788,500 choices together, and that's who you are. So how do you make your choices? Who or what has the final say, the last word, the deciding vote when it comes to the decisions in your life? Who or what lies at the heart, at the center of your life? Those are the questions we've been trying to answer in this series we're calling Money, Sex, and Power. It's a series devoted to examining our hearts to see if God or some other thing, some other power, some other object sits on the throne of our lives. Now, God has a name for such things, such powers, such objects. God calls them idols. And in this series, we've learned that an idol is anything we look to to give us what only God can give. We've learned that an idol is often a good thing that's been turned into an ultimate thing. While anything can become an idol in our lives, in this series, we're focusing in upon three common culprits when it comes to idols in today's world. Three good things that humanity often turns into ultimate things. And those three things are money, sex, and power. Now, after diving deep into the realms of money and sex, we are now turning the final corner and delving into the realm of power. Now, what do we mean by the word power? The concepts of money and sex were pretty straightforward, but what are we talking about when we talk about power? Well, when you have power, you tend to have the ability to exercise a measure of control in life. When you have power, you tend to get what you want in life. When we're talking about someone who has a measure of control and someone who gets what they want, what are we describing? We're describing someone that's seen as successful in life, aren't we? I mean, what is success if it isn't having control and getting what you want? So then, when we talk about power for the next two weeks, we're essentially talking about success. We're using the words interchangeably. And when we talk about power and success, we're talking about the accumulation of wealth and influence. When you're powerful in the world, when you're successful in this world, you're seen as someone that matters. You're celebrated as a winner. You're pursued as an influencer. Now, let's be very clear about this. To accumulate wealth and influence in itself is not a bad thing. In fact, accumulating wealth and influence can be the fruit of a good thing. Accumulating wealth and influence can be the sign of having lived a godly and an obedient life. However, remember what we learned at the very beginning of this series. When a good thing is turned into an ultimate thing, that's when it becomes an idolatrous thing. We've seen how it can happen with money. We've seen how it can happen with sex. And we're about to see how it can happen with power. You're a child in a school playground, getting ready to play a game of soccer with your friends. 
That means you first have to pick teams. That means that everyone lines up perhaps against a fence while two captains look down the line and choose who they want on their respective teams. And when the captains begin picking, the clock of shame begins ticking. You know what I'm talking about. The longer it takes for you to be chosen, the more humiliation you feel. The longer it takes for you to be chosen, the less self-esteem you have. I'm sure we've all experienced this dynamic at some time in our lives. And when you do experience something like this, you can have one of two responses. You can recognize that it has absolutely nothing to do with your value in life, or you can allow it to become a defining moment in your life. It's amazing how such a little event in a young mind can grow into such a large lie in an adult life. I know because it happened to me. Let me tell you about it. Now, over the years, we've investigated the different ways that God speaks to people. and We've learned that one of the ways God speaks is through spontaneous thoughts. Thoughts that bubble up from within, seemingly out of nowhere, with a weight and with a force that's irresistible. Well, about 25 years ago or so, I had a strong impression that God was speaking to me. I had a sense that God was speaking to me. I was in Cultus Lake at the time. On my own, it was a day of prayer in my life. And as I was praying and pacing, a sudden spontaneous thought came to my mind. A thought that I couldn't escape. A thought that had a weight and a power to it. And the thought was this. Darren, you need to face the truth that your life has been fueled by selfish ambition. That thought came to my mind and I could not escape it. And immediately, like a, a file had been downloaded into my life, I knew exactly what... I felt God was saying to me. I knew immediately that since I was a little boy, I had this sense, this inner sense, that I was less than everybody else. And I think the root of this sense was because of my comparing myself with my older brother. My older brother was a, a rock star in the sense of track and field. He was a track and field legend in my hometown. He was the city track and field champion six years in a row. He was a hockey star, uh, a star on the junior B team in our city, drafted uh, junior A by the, um, the Ottawa 67s as a 16-year-old. He was a legend in our city. He was in the newspaper, in headlines. Everybody knew my brother. And in my hometown as a kid, my nickname was Little Latham. And deep in my heart, deep in my mind, though I never said it, but all my life as a kid, and apparently, as a young adult and an adult, I had this loop playing in my brain. And the loop was this. You're all going to be sorry, folks. Someday, you're going to treat me better. Someday, you're going to read about me, and you'll wish you had treated me better. I began a long journey of introspection, reflection, and repentance that day. A journey that took me years to fully walk out, but a journey that eventually brought healing and peace into my life. So what about you? Can you relate? Are you secretly driven by the need to succeed in life? Is your life fueled by the drive to not merely pass, but impress the people around you? Is success an idol or is success in danger of becoming an idol in your life? Now you're watching and you say, well, how can I know, Darren? Well, I'm going to suggest four potential warning signs that success has become an idol in your life. Number one, when you're not winning, you believe that you have no value. 
When power or success becomes an idol in your life, you are only as good as your last achievement. You're only as valuable as your last victory. When you place success at the center of your life, your success defines you. You look to your success for your identity. When success is the ultimate thing in your life, success is everything in your life. And that, my friend, is the definition of a god. That, my friend, is the definition of idolatry. One sign that success has become an idol in your life is when you're not winning, you believe you have no value. A second sign is closely related to the first one. When others are not winning, you believe that they have no value. You see, when success has been turned into the ultimate in your life, success becomes the measuring stick in your life. And you use that stick to not only measure your worth, but also the worth of everyone around you. And when you do this, when you use power or success to measure people, you find yourself looking down on those who stumble, those who falter, those who fail. Can you relate? Do you tend to think less about those who have less, about those who appear to have accomplished less? That might be a sign that success has become an idol in your life. Which brings us to the third potential sign. Pride has turned from a positive feeling to a negative force. Now, you and I are designed by God to feel good, to feel positive when we live according to how we were created to live. The Apostle Paul in the Bible wrote, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Now, notice something. They can take pride in themselves. When you take an honest inventory of your life and you discover that, for all intents and purposes, you've been living according to God's design for your life, it's healthy, it's appropriate to experience a positive feeling of pride in your life. But it doesn't end there. We're also designed by God to feel good, to feel positive, when we see others living according to how they were created to live. Writing to a congregation in the ancient city of Corinth, the Apostle Paul commended them for their noble actions when he wrote, I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. So clearly, there's a positive place for pride in the life of a follower of Jesus. When you live with Christ at the center of your life, pride can play a positive and constructive role in your life. However, when you place success at the center of your life, pride turns from being a positive and constructive feeling into being a negative and destructive fuel. The Apostle Paul described the other side of pride this way. He said, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You can see he linked this negative pride with conceit. Pride can turn from something that celebrates where God has placed you to something that drives you to where God does not want you to be. When the quest for power dwells at the center of your life, when you're living to be successful, the destructive side of pride is right there with you, fueling your journey, cheering you on as it drives you further and further away from God's design for your life which explains the dynamic behind the fourth sign that success may have become an idol in your life. And that's this. Even when you're winning, you're still not fulfilled. You see, 
The thing about idols is they're counterfeits. They're fakes. They're imposters. They can't deliver what they promise. And the frustrating thing about placing success at the center of your life is the fact that it never ultimately fulfills you. It never ultimately delivers on what it promises you. You're led to believe that having the admiration of everyone around you will fill the emptiness that lies within you. But it's not true. It doesn't work that way. In her Netflix documentary, Lady Gaga was talking on the phone with a trusted member of her entourage. She said, I'm alone every night. And she said that through tears. She said, all these people will leave, right? They will leave and then I'll be alone. And I go from everyone touching me all day and talking at me all day to total silence. The frustrating thing about placing success at the center of your life is it never ultimately fulfills you. The truth about placing success at the center of your life is this. Even when you're winning, you're still not fulfilled. So there you have it. Four possible signs that the good thing known as power or success has been turned into the ultimate thing in your life. Four possible symptoms that you're looking to the accumulation of wealth and influence to give you what only God can give. Which actually provides me with a great opportunity to unveil today's big idea. Today's big idea is counterintuitive, but it's true nonetheless. Here it is. The guaranteed way to fail at the end of your life is to place success at the center of your life. It's counterintuitive, but it's true. The surest way to ultimately not be successful in life is to make success the ultimate thing in your life. The guaranteed way to fail at the end of your life is to place success at the center of your life. So why is this? Because the accumulation of wealth and influence was never designed to stand at the center of your life. Let me put it another way. The guaranteed way to destroy the high-rise tower that you're building is to place sand at the foundation of the high-rise tower that you're building. Why? Is it because high-rise towers are bad? No. Is it because sand is evil? No. It's because sand was not designed. Sand is not equipped to do what you're requiring it to do. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to placing power or success at the center of your life. You're asking it to do what it was never designed to do. That is why the guaranteed way to fail at the end of your life is to place success at the center of your life. Did you know that Jesus once told the story of a man who did this very thing? It's true. Jesus once told the sad story of a man who placed the accumulation of wealth and influence at the center of his life. Over the centuries, the story has come to be known as the parable of the rich fool. We actually briefly touched on this story from the Gospel of Luke a few weeks ago. One day, Jesus stood before a crowd of thousands of people, teaching them. He was warning them about the people and things that could destroy them. And in the middle of Jesus' sermon, someone in the crowd shouted out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So apparently two brothers were fighting over their deceased father's estate. Now, while Jesus ignored the legal aspect of the question, he did address the core aspect of the question. And he did it by telling them a story, a parable. 
the Bible records, then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And so the rich man thought to himself, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You're going to die tonight. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I have one question for you. What exactly did the guy in Jesus' story do wrong? Why was this man called a fool? What was this man's fatal error? Was it building bigger barns? Is that what he did wrong? I don't think so. That sounds like a wise business decision to me. It's practical. It's smart. He's got all this extra grain. If he leaves it out, it'll rot. It'll be ruined. That's a waste of grain. It's good stewardship to build bigger barns so you can protect the grain. Smart move. Well, if that wasn't his error, what was his error? I suggest to you that it wasn't so much what this guy did as it was what he believed. Let me tell you a story that I made up myself. I call it the story of the foolish marathoner. One day, a guy who wanted to run a marathon lined up on the starting line with all the other hundreds of marathoners. The gun was sounded and everyone took off at various paces. But this foolish marathoner, he took off like it was a sprint. He ran as fast as he could for 200 yards. He was way ahead of everyone else. And at the 200-yard mark, he stopped. He threw up his hands in the air and he danced around and celebrated. I win, I win. He broke out a bottle of champagne and poured it on his head as he danced around and celebrated. Well, then everyone else passed him. What did the foolish marathoner do wrong? He had a misguided and short-sighted concept of success. He was messed up in his beliefs. I would put to you that the rich fool in Jesus' story made the same fatal error as the foolish marathoner in my story. They both had misguided, short-sighted, messed-up beliefs about life. Do you remember the truth Jesus was seeking to illustrate with his story? Just before telling his story, Jesus said, Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus was illustrating the truth that your life is not defined by how much money or how many possessions you accumulate. Jesus did not say it's wrong to accumulate money or possessions. Jesus simply said your life is not defined by your money and your possessions. The story of the rich fool was designed to show that when we believe that our life is defined by how much we accumulate, we're setting ourselves up for a huge disappointment because the guaranteed way to fail at the end of your life is to place a short-sighted view of success at the center of your life. And the rich fool did that very thing. And the rich fool was confronted with that very reality because the rich fool came to the end of his life 
faced the creator of his life and realized a sober truth about his life. And that truth is this. It's not what you hold in your hands, but what you hold in your heart that defines you. It's not what you hold in your hands, it's what you hold in your heart that defines you. That's essentially how Jesus concludes his story. Look at the last thing Jesus said on the subject. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus was saying, this is how it will be for the man who places power and success at the center of his existence, instead of placing the God of the universe at the center of his existence. Jesus was saying, this is how it will be for the woman who makes life all about herself while ignoring the one who created her. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So what about your life? Are you living for the accumulation of wealth and influence? Have you placed power and success at the center of your life? When you're not winning, do you believe that you have no value? When others are not winning, do you believe that they have no value? Has pride turned from a positive feeling to a negative force in your life? Even when you are winning, are you still not fulfilled? Be careful. The guaranteed way to fail at the end of your life is to place success at the center of your life. Now you're watching today and you say, so what exactly are you saying, Darren? Are you saying that I should not pursue excellence in my life and my career? Are you saying that I should not seek to be the best I can be in my life, in my home, in my pursuits? No, I am not saying that at all. There is a place for aspiration in the life of a follower of Jesus. There is a place for achievement in the life of a follower of Jesus. There is a place for pursuing excellence in the life of a follower of Jesus. There is a way to strive for success without making success an idol in your life. And we're going to discover that way next week when we conclude our series on money, sex, and power. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you do all things well. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we're made in your image. So your excellence flows over into our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you've created us to succeed. But forgive us when we make success the purpose, the goal, the point of our lives, instead of your presence, looking to you and pursuing you as the goal and the center of our lives. Forgive us when we run astray. Forgive us when we place idols at the core of our being. And so, Lord, we want to pursue you and pursue you alone. Teach us your ways. Maybe you're watching today. And you can relate perhaps to what we talked about today. There's an emptiness in your heart, an emptiness in your life. Maybe even as you're watching me, you're, you're sitting in your home and you're surrounded by all the things that your success has brought you. Yet there's an awareness of emptiness in your heart and in your life. These things, your home, all that around you, they're not bad things. They were just never designed to be at the center of your life. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, they'll be added to your life. They're not bad, they're good. They're just not the reason for your existence. Perhaps at this moment, you would like to remove those things from the throne of your life and place Jesus Christ at the center of your life. If you'd like to do that, 
Pray this prayer with me right now. God, I acknowledge that I have placed at the core of my existence things, people, powers, desires that ought not to be there. I remove them from the core of my being and I invite you, the God of the universe, to dwell at the center of my life, in my heart. I ask you to forgive me. I turn my back. I repent of this wrong way of living and I want to live according to your design. So I invite you into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Live within me by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name, by his authority. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to recommend something to you. On the screen right now is a number. You can text that number. One of our team will be on the other end of that number and we'll simply respond. We're not going to phone you. We'll text you back and offer our services to you in any way we can, helping you take the next step in your journey towards Christ-centered living. We're not tricking you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We just want to help you in any way that we can. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Next week, we're going to conclude our money, sex, and power series by learning how can I pursue excellence without making excellence an idol in my life? God bless you. Hope to see you next week here at Broadway Church.